Well, if you would turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1, as we take up this uh, portion of God's Word, we've been through two of the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, and we've done them in chronological order, 1 Timothy and then Titus, both of which were written, as we'll talk about during in the time period between Paul's first and second Roman imprisonments. And we come back to 2 Timothy. And so the scripture reading tonight will be uh, verses 1 through 7. 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 7. So hear now God's word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, And now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. And God will add his blessing to this reading of his word. We come now to this last writing of Paul. Uh, It's the last letter that he wrote. Uh, It's written in his second Roman imprisonment uh, to Timothy. And uh, again, the the knowledge of that, that he is soon to die, if you turn to chapter 4, verse 6, he he tells us that. He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. So he knows that the, the time of his execution is imminent. Uh, church tradition has it that he was beheaded just out a little bit outside of Rome. Uh, so this letter is Paul's essentially last will and testament. And it adds a little weightiness to the letter when we think about that. Uh, when we're near someone who is about to die, especially if they're able to have uh, some of their wits about them, sometimes the process of death isn't so neat and clean as we might wish it was. Uh, but we, when they, they say something, uh, they, we, we see that as very weighty. And we, so we need to see this uh, book of Second Timothy in that way. And he imparts to Timothy his final words of encouragement and wisdom. He's going to be stressing the importance again of godly living, of uh, preaching the word, of preparing for and dealing with the coming apostasy that's going to come upon the church. And a focal point and underlying all of this is the word of God. Second Timothy is the uh, book that gives us that classic passage on the inspiration of Scripture. 
And that's so the dominance of the word of God, both to his life and ministry. And uh, Paul will assure Timothy of his continuing love and prayers for him in the what we're going to do tonight and in other parts of the book. He's going to encourage him to persevere as a soldier, as an athlete, as a farmer, as a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ, and encourage him in his walk. Uh, the, uh, he writes, uh, Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, uh, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child. We find the name Timothy in more uh, introductions and more salutations than any other letters of the New Testament. He was a very close confidant of, 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 of Paul. And just to review a little bit of his history, uh, Timothy, his father was Greek and his mother and grandmother were uh, Jewish. And uh, when Paul went on his first missionary journey, one of the cities that he went to was the city of Lystra. In Acts 14, you can read the account of all that happened in Lystra. Lystra was the place where Paul healed a man and the townspeople claimed that he was a god, he and uh, Barnabas, that were both gods. And uh, Paul trying to tell them, no, no, don't worship me. Uh, The people got mad and stoned him. And uh, he awoke from, after after the people stoning him left, the uh, disciples were hovering around him and he either came to life or he became awake after having been knocked out by the stoning. But at any rate, the conclusion of the the story of the uh, first missionary journey in, in Lystra is that he accumulated many disciples. Well, while Timothy is not mentioned in that account of the first missionary journey, more than likely he was one of those converts. And um, along with him, or actually perhaps prior to him, was his grandmother and his mother who came to know the Lord and perhaps through their testimony, so did Timothy. So then on the second missionary journey, Paul gets Timothy. So turn here to Acts chapter 16. And we'll read just a few verses, Acts 16. In the first three, first three verses of this uh, chapter, Acts 16, says, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. He's going back through the towns he went to the first time. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Paul takes Timothy and he has him follow him and join him for really the remainder of his life. There are going to be times when Paul assigns Timothy to certain places. But essentially from that moment on, Timothy is a companion 
of the Apostle Paul. So he picks him up on the second missionary journey and he goes uh, with him uh, the rest of his ministry. Under Paul's leadership, Timothy was ordained to the ministry. Hands were laid on him. Uh, where We learn of some of the different places they go to, Troas, Berea, Thessalonica, and Corinth. In the third missionary journey, Timothy continued to labor with him uh, in Ephesus, in Macedonia, and in Corinth. And then uh, Paul made the trip to Jerusalem, and it was there that he was arrested and ultimately taken to Rome, and that was his first Roman imprisonment. Some of the epistles written during that time were were um, Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. And we've, we learn in, in um, Philippians chapter 2, in fact, why don't you turn there, Philippians 2. It's one of the prison, one of the prison epistles that he wrote from Rome. It was Paul's plan to send Timothy to Philippi. <clears throat> Um, So Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that that shortly I myself will come also to you. So he doesn't send Timothy at this moment. It probably happens that Paul is released from prison and he sends Timothy on to Philippi and they join up together at different places. Uh, We learn from Hebrews 13 that at some point Timothy himself was imprisoned. We don't know when exactly or where. Doesn't, Hebrews doesn't tell us. Uh, but uh, he experienced that as well. Then Paul, after his release from Rome, probably went with Timothy at some point to Ephesus. Then he left Timothy at Ephesus. That's the place where he's ministering when he writes in 1 Timothy. And Paul goes on to Macedonia and ministers there. Uh, because it was Paul's desire to go to Spain. He wanted to go to the ends of the Roman Empire in his ministry. Uh, We're going to see that he writes to Timothy, who was sickly, timid, and youthful. We'll come back to that thought. But Paul authors this epistle toward the end of his life uh, to continue to encourage Timothy in his work as a minister. Um, So while Timothy is ministering in Ephesus, Paul perhaps took a side trip to Crete, where then he left Titus uh, to minister there, and then comes, he winters in, as we read at the end of Titus, in Nicopolis, which is on the western side of of, um, Macedonia. And then it's conjecture. We don't have a historical account of it, but it's, but it's likely that Paul, after wintering in Nicopolis, made his journey to Spain. So 
He was released from imprisonment, probably roughly 62, 63, somewhere in there, maybe 63, AD 63, he traveled to Spain. In AD 64, Nero burned Rome and blamed the Christians. And it was at that point, up to that point, most of the persecution of Christians had been by Jewish leaders. But beginning after the burning of Rome, then Christians began to be persecuted by the Roman authorities as well. And it was, so after his return probably from Spain, uh, going to various cities, Troas being one of them, it seemed that at Troas is where he probably was rearrested. So he had written while he was out of prison, First Timothy and Titus, makes his trip to Spain, comes back. In fact, Clement of Rome underscores that Paul probably did that. He writes in First Clement that Paul reached the limits of the West. And then after the persecution of the church really increased dramatically after the burning of Rome and when Paul returned uh, to the uh, area in Greece and um, Macedonia, it was more, um, it was probably at that time he was rearrested. You get a sense of that in 2 Timothy 4, verse 13, a reflection of where he, he was perhaps when he was arrested. First Timothy 4, excuse me, 2 Timothy 4, 13, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. So it's thought that Paul perhaps was rearrested there in Troas and ended up having to leave his cloak and the parchments and the writings. And so he's asking for Timothy to bring those things to him. And probably around 67 AD, he was beheaded. So the purpose of Paul's letter to Timothy here in 2 Timothy is to urge him and underscore for him to be faithful in the work of the ministry that he was conducting and to hold fast the word of God. As we've seen in 1 Timothy and, and Titus, uh, and there will be some of that here, there's opposition, opposition from Jewish authorities, now opposition from Roman civil authorities, and opposition from these false teachers that are circulating around in the Roman Empire and trying to undermine the truth. And so Paul in this letter is trying to urge his son in the faith, Timothy, to faithfulness. Uh, he's trying to encourage him in the work, especially with some of his weaknesses. And then he's asking Timothy and Mark, the John Mark of Acts that caused the, the dispute between Paul and Barnabas, that Mark, who at that time Paul didn't want him accompanying him, now here at the end of his life, he says, Mark is profitable to me. So he's asking Timothy and Mark to come and minister to him there as he's in prison near death at the, in, the, at the, in Rome, in the prison in Rome. So a basic outline of 2 Timothy would be 
all centered around sound doctrine. Chapter one is Paul's exhortation, hold fast to sound doctrine. Chapter two will be his exhortation to teach sound doctrine. Chapter three will be his exhortation to Timothy to abide in sound doctrine. And then chapter four is his exhortation to Timothy to preach sound doctrine. So if we look at this chapter one and the overall theme of holding fast to sound doctrine, uh, we, we have three parts of it. We're going to look at part one tonight. We have three parts of uh, chapter one. And essentially his message is hold fast to doctrine. In verses one to seven, it's essentially hold on to sound doctrine like your grandmother and your mother. And he's pointing to them as, a, as an example and as a help. The middle part of it will be Hold fast to sound doctrine as I do. Don't be ashamed of the doctrine, of the truth. And then the last piece in verses 15 to 18 is hold fast to sound doctrine like Onesiphorus, who was not ashamed of my chains when there were many, uh, in fact, he says, all in Asia deserted me. Uh, there, there was this one man who held fast the truth and did not, and did not abandon Paul. So we, we begin in the overall section of hold fast to sound doctrine like your grandmother, like your mother. And we begin with a fairly familiar salutation. He identifies himself, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, through the will of God, He's, um, uh, he's identifying, again, his authority. Now, Timothy doesn't need to know this, but it's a part of his introduction, a part of his salutation to identify the authority that he has in writing this particular letter, even though he's writing it to Timothy. I mean, as on a personal letter, you know, he might have said, hi, Timothy, this is Paul, and jump right into it. But he, he gives the more formal uh, introduction and salutation. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, he didn't appoint himself. Christ Jesus appointed him. He's an apostle through the will of God. And the ESV has, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, uh, other translations have in harmony or in accordance with the life that we have in, in Christ Jesus. And what's kind of interesting about that statement is here you have a man who's facing death. Death is hanging over him. He knows it's coming. It's only a matter of time. And what is the underscore for Timothy here right from the get-go is that he's a servant of, of the Lord by the will of God in accordance with the promise of life. In Christ Jesus. And so his whole focus is life in Christ. He's not, I mean, certainly it's discouraging. Certainly it's 
uh, a sobering thing that he's facing death, but his focus isn't on that. His focus is on the life that is in Christ Jesus. And he's pointing that out to Timothy to encourage him um, the life that is in Christ Jesus. And whatever circumstances we face that overwhelm us, one of the things that we can do to give us strength and encourage us is to remember where our true hope lies. Uh, It's not even in our future in this world. It's in the life that is found in Christ Jesus. He addresses him as my beloved child. They had a very intimate relationship. They had a very endearing relationship. Timothy was a spiritual child of um, Paul. That Timothy had been one to the Lord through the work and ministry of Paul. And so Paul considers him his son. And so he has that endearing comment to Timothy, my beloved child. And then we have the, the typical salutation that you hear me repeat many times, have heard me repeat many times in morning worship. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. All of these wonderful gifts and the, the grace that we experience through Jesus Christ, the mercy that we, we experience through him and the peace. And they all form together the great encouragement that we have uh, in our, uh, in our <clears throat> lives that we receive from God the Father and from Jesus Christ our Lord. This is what God's greeting and the, the, uh, means for us. Uh, that as we worship God, as we love God, as we follow God, He wants you to experience his grace, his mercy, and his peace. And that's why it's not a burden to repeat that uh, every week. Uh, You could repeat it with me. You've heard it so many times. Uh, If I were to stumble over a word, grace, mercy, and let's see, uh, you could speak up and say, peace. And through our Lord Jesus Christ, you, would, you know it. And you need to know it. You need to be reminded of it. I need to be reminded of it. <clears throat> so he gives his introduction um, <clears throat> just as a part of his normal letter writing uh, practice. But then he, the second part of this, this first section, Paul thanks God for the faith of Timothy. So in verse three, he says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. So here he's not thanking God for Timothy's ministry yet. Uh, He's thanking God that he had the privilege to serve God. Uh, He considered a great privilege. I thank God whom I serve. And then he makes the connection as did my forefathers. Paul was not initiating a new religion. Uh, He was not um, creating a new system of faith. He was taking the Old Testament faith that his forefathers had 
and that God taught in the writings of the Old Testament, he's building on that. Of course, it's transformed. It's dynamically um, expanded in the coming and work, uh, work, saving work of Jesus Christ. But he's trying to underscore, I think, by that statement that we're, we're continuing the faith of Israel, the true faith of Israel, that they're now abandoning by droves. And Gentiles, by God's mercy, are embracing uh, again by droves. But it's not a new religion. <clears throat> He's thankful that he has this privilege to serve God as his forefathers with a clear conscience. You know, that again is kind of a, a startling thing. Uh, a person in prison would typically have at least a little bit of guilt. Uh, they might have some awareness, well, I did something wrong. But Paul realizes that he's in prison for the faith and he uh, has a clear conscience. He's in prison, terrible situation, <clears throat> but he knows that the Holy Spirit has purified his heart in his life, and as a prisoner in a dark place, he enjoys a clear conscience and peace of mind. That again is the blessing of God's work in our lives, that we at, any, at all times might have this peace of conscience. And he says, and as I remember you constantly, so he's thanking God for his ministry, and then as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, Timothy, I pray for you continually. I'm in prison here, but you're never far from my mind. I lift you up to the Lord. I remember uh, you in my prayers. And uh, several different, the, the, the concept of memory is very significant. There's three different words in here that kind of underscore this remembering that Paul is doing about Timothy. It's it's in, in a way to rem, remind him, you're not far from my thoughts. You, I have you in my thoughts and in my prayers. I remember, uh, so I constantly in my prayers night and day are remembering him. As I remember your tears. You kind of wish you had, could interview Paul at this point. Say, what, what, what are you talking about? What tears? Um, Several conjecture, I kind of think they're probably right. That Paul's probably reliving the time when he and Timothy had to be separated. Maybe they're at Troas. Uh, maybe it was at Ephesus. And Paul had to leave. Timothy had to stay. And they fell on each other's shoulders and they wept because they were going to be separated. It kind of reminds you of the, the meeting of Paul with the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. And when Paul said, you know, I'm never going to see you again. Uh, the, um, the elders wept. Because of the deep relationship they had with Paul. Uh, Paul remembers Timothy in his prayers. He remembers his tears. And then he continues, uh, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. So he's calling Timothy to come back to him. He longs to see him. He longs to be rejoice. Uh, 
uh, in with joy in seeing Timothy again. But but here's the another thing that he remembers that's significant and kind of the foundation of him holding fast to the truth. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you. A sincere faith, an unhypocritical faith. It's a faith that's genuinely embraces the Lord Jesus Christ and he has this tender memory of Timothy's faith. I remember your faith. But to me, a powerful thing about this passage uh, is it's a, a, a sincere faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, <clears throat> Lois, and now and, and in your mother Eunice. That his grandmother and his mother were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and they had taught this to Timothy. And Paul is remembering this covenantal connection. And what a treasure and gift it is. Uh, Children, you need to appreciate your believing parents. The faith that resides in them. Now you have to make it your own. But it's a great gift to have parents and grandparents that love the Lord. They're imperfect. uh, And they will not do everything right. They know that as well as you do. But their sincere faith is a great gift to you. I remember reading something along this line when uh, the communists took over in Russia, the Soviet Union, and as an atheistic political entity, they did their best to stamp out every semblance of Christianity and sought to persecute it and punish it and squelch it in every way they possibly could. And then when, in years later, the, the Soviet Union began to be opened and people were able to go back and visit and they found these pockets of faith Sincere, genuine faith among people in various places. And when they talked to them about them, they were given the testimony. Well, how is it that you could believe? How could you, how could you be a believer with all this pressure and persecution? And their answer was, because I loved my grandmother. Their grandmother had been a believer and their grandmother had laid down the truth and they loved their grandmother and even though the the authorities would abuse all the teachings of Christianity the 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 people couldn't forget that person that loved them and taught them the faith this wonderful covenantal connection a grandmother being a believer a mother being a believer and 
passing that down then to their grandson and their son, Timothy, and him having that same sincere faith uh, that they had that dwells in him as well. And so it begins this, this uh, remembrance of Timothy and his encouragement of Timothy is me by remembering his sincere faith. And so in verses six and seven, he then begins his exhortation to hold fast to that truth, that truth you learned that sound doctrine that you learned, you need to hold fast to that. And that's what he's getting at in verses six and seven. For this reason, because you have that sincere faith, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. What's the gift of God in him? It's not necessarily an ecstatic experience. That's not really it. The gift that was given to him by the laying on of hands was the the privilege and opportunity to serve God as a preacher of the word of God. So he's saying you grew up on your mother's and your grandmother's knee and God blessed you with a sincere faith. Now, fan into flame the gift of God you have. In other words, hold fast to the truth. You need to carry out your ministry with, with fervency because of the faith that you've been given. Uh, it's, it's easy when times are difficult to withdraw. It's easy to, when there's a time delay, to perhaps, perhaps allow some indifference to come in there. And you and I always need this encouragement. No, you got to stay with it. You got to keep persevering. Doesn't seem to be working. That's when you keep persevering. You seem to be hitting your head on the wall every time you turn. That's when you keep persevering. You fan into flame the gift of God given to you through the laying on of his hands. The ordination to the office. Ryan isn't here to hear this, but there will be days in the future when he will be discouraged. Uh, Rachel may be discouraged. Things aren't progressing exactly like he had hoped they would in one form or fashion. And Paul's words to Timothy or words to Ryan, to me, to the elders, to those in authority. No, you, you had hands laid on you and set you apart to the work of ministry. Now fan into flame the gift that was given you in the, with the laying on of hands. You keep persevering. You keep holding fast to the truth. And then he gives a, a, an encouragement that's an encouragement to all of us, <clears throat> but perhaps specifically applicable to Timothy. Uh, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control, or I think it's the King James. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Um, he's reminding Timothy of the, the support that God gives us. Timothy was uh, probably a fairly uh, fearful person, <clears throat> or perhaps he was, had a tendency to fear. 
especially in the face of his challenges and his opposition. Uh, He was uh, a man that seemed to have physical ailments. Um, If you look back at 1 Timothy 5, 1 Timothy 5.23, we have this encouragement to Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Uh, Timothy seemed to have some physical illnesses that he was dealing with. Uh, He was probably a timid person by nature. That's a challenge when you're an authority and you're timid by nature. Uh, in, uh, when when uh, Paul wrote the Corinthians, he told, them, he told them, Now if Timothy comes, see to it that he is with you without fear. Now why would Paul have to tell that to the Corinthians? Well, it's because Timothy probably was a bit of a fearful person, timid. Uh, and so he's, Paul's trying to prepare the groundwork to the Corinthians. Now shape up. Don't be mean to this guy. Uh, Treat him well. He was a a young man. Paul had said, do not let anyone look down on your youth. We don't know what that exactly means, but he was a young man of some age. He was definitely opposed. And so he needed the encouragement. Uh, Perhaps he specifically needed the encouragement, but we all need this encouragement. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. If we're afraid, it's not from God. Uh, that is, if we're afraid of the circumstances, we, we will face fearful circumstances. But if we're afraid, that's not from God. Because he hasn't given us a spirit of fear. But what he has given us is power that is his strength. It's not our own strength, it's his strength. But of power... And of love, love for God, love for God's people, love for the work that he's given to us, and a sound mind. I like that a little better than self-control. They probably both share that. But it's, as we have seen in both Titus and in Timothy, 1 Timothy, we have to get our minds focused on the truth of God's word. That's where our stability comes. Uh, we need the sure foundation of the word of God to keep us balanced and secure. And I think that's where the sound mind comes in. The word of God informs our minds as well as our hearts. And we help to keep things in focus. And so Paul is giving this exhortation to Timothy that he remains true and holds fast to the truth of the word of God, the sound doctrine that He was taught at his mother's knee and that he came to believe and he was given the great privilege of serving the Lord in ministry. And then now God has provided the equipping that he needs uh, to do that work. So as we reflect on this passage, there's several different things for us to, to glean from it, but to remember particularly the great gift of faith, the basic uh, nature of our faith, the sincere faith, and that you and I hold fast to that truth so that we might carry out whatever is our calling uh, to do so in a way that honors and glorifies God. 
You don't have to be a minister to glorify God. You can serve in a variety of ways, which many of you do. And you can honor God by holding fast to his truth, keeping the stability of your faith, and um, living in the power and the, the sound mind strength of the gospel. So may you and I do that and bring glory to God in our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the abundant mercy and and love that you have poured out in our lives. We thank you, Father, that uh, you've given us this letter in which we can learn many things that were helpful to Timothy and can be helpful to us to listen to a man who's facing his own death in the near future and yet can give us the, the things that are priorities for us that we might lead uh, faithful and godly lives for your glory. May you bless us as we enter this coming week and may you strengthen us in our faith and in our hope and our peace that we would walk in your ways. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.